Welcome back. You're listening to Broker Talk, the number one weekly real estate podcast hosted by brokers with almost 50 years of experience in the real estate brokerage industry, including residential, commercial, investment, development, and marketing, including radio, television, magazines, books, websites, and of course, podcasts. Your Broker Talk hosts today are Larry Lawfer and myself, Jim Lowenstern. Evan is on the soundboard. We're once again broadcasting from the top of the Castles Unlimited Space Needle in Boston, Massachusetts. How are you doing today, Larry? Hey, I'm doing great, Jim. It's a beautiful fall here in New England, and we have someone uh, as our guest today who is travels all over the country. Diane Dispro is a uh, educator. She's a teacher. She's a lecturer. Uh, for the National Association of Realtors, NAR. She's a broker her, herself and has run an office in her New Jersey home for many, many years. Uh, I took a course with uh, Diane recently uh, on the Ombudsman's program. We're so excited to have Diane with us. How are you, Diane? I'm great. Just absolutely wonderful. What's an, what's an Ombudsman? What is an ombudsman? Or well, an Diane, ombuds person. Yeah. Well, no, it's an ombudsman, and I think Diane is. Uh, Diane, please don't take twenty minutes with this question. <laughs> I won't. Okay. Honestly, what an ombudsman program is, and its simplest definition is informal telephone mediation, where somebody calls the the uh, board of realtors and they're upset with a realtor, and they say what it's about, and then they're offered the ombudsman program. And the ombudsman, with his, which is generally a realtor, will listen to the concern and contact the respondent. And sometimes they don't even know anything was, was wrong and try to work things out between the two of them. And it's been about the best PR that the realtor organization has had. Can that be realtor to realtor? Like if I had a problem with a realtor? Absolutely. can also solve inter-realtor conflicts before they become serious problems and we have to cooperate every day in the real estate business, so it really works for uh, realtor-to-realtor disputes as well. And before before this ombudsman's program, which came in in 2017, didn't it, uh, Diane? Uh, every association of realtors was supposed to have an ombudsman program in place by January 1, 2016. 2016. And, yeah. So you want to know what was happening before then? <laughs> Well, I do know what's happening because I was chairman of the Grievance Committee here in G-Bar for for a while, and the Grievance Committee was one, but it costs a good deal of money, it takes a good deal of time, um, and people just weren't satisfied with it um, because of the time and the money it costs. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, So arbitration these days? Mediation. Well... Like well, a lot a th- of people mediate five, $500 per um, office, right? Realtor-to-realtor disputes over commission. And we're, we've been doing that for many, many years at the Realtor Organization. But the ombudsman was a new concept, and it seemed that many members of the public are reluctant to file this written complaint. Uh, they think that our process at the local association to file the complaint is cumbersome. They think the paperwork is really hard to understand. And a lot of times what was happening is the association would send out a packet with the code of ethics, the complaint form, and they weren't sending them back. They were getting this in the mail saying, well, I'm not going to do all this kind of stuff. So um, a lot, that meant a large percentage of people were upset or dissatisfied with one of our members, and they didn't get their problem resolved. But now they do with this ombudsman program. 
Just because it's easier. I mean, sending a, the code, the National Association of Realtors Code of Ethics to someone, this is a, a deep and varied document. And you're asking a consumer or another real estate agent who might not be a realtor, uh, might just be a sales agent, to understand this code and to write down what part of the code the, the person you're complaining about broke. It, it, it's kind of a difficult situation, I think. Well, we now have a way to change things with the ombudsman getting involved. They, most of the time, consumers and realtors just want somebody to listen to them and help them solve their problem, not to have to fill out all this paperwork, you know. Um, and a lot of times it's not even a violation of the code. It's a, a communication breakdown between the two parties, and it, people don't like conflict. People don't like rocking the boat, so having an intermediary like the ombudsman, really does help a lot. Well, I think in our current market, Diane, where you're, you're getting multiple bids and, and first-time home buyers or, or even other home buyers, uh, they're in a multiple bid situation. They don't get it, and then they don't get the next one, then they don't get the next one. And uh, they think the, it's somehow rigged, and it, it, it may be, but it also might not be. Right, right. And a lot of How times the ombudsman can help and be a very huge benefit to our realtor members because they can, uh, the ombudsman can step in and try to help clear up any misunderstandings, you know, that they may not even have known existed in many instances. So uh, this has really been one of the most valuable services that's helped get members' um, transactions back on track because that with the help of the ombudsman and very satisfactory to the consumers as well. What what do you see in terms of a difference between realtors um, in the way they're communicating with the ombudsman and non-realtors, if any? Um, well, what's interesting is since the ombudsman program has been only around for a couple of years, some of the realtors that we call, letting them know that someone has a concern about them, are like, what is it? You know, what are you again? Are you an ombuds what? So we kind of have to explain the program to them and the benefit of um, trying to work it out. And generally, it's just over the telephone. And many times, the ombudsman can communicate with the, the complainant within a matter of minutes after the, you know, they hang up with the local association office and can get it resolved on the same day. See, that, that, I think, is the biggest benefit of all, that immediate gratification of, you know, I'm mad now, you know, and so you can solve that problem now. Is this a free service? Yes, it is. If, yep. if you're a realtor. at the associations that get some training in dispute resolution and, you know, some of the skill sets and the communication and the summarizing and things like that, they get trained and the on the program that the association has adopted and then usually these people that are appointed are knowledgeable about professional standards, the code of ethics, state law, things like that and have some experience in the real estate business for a certain number of years and it's really a positive experience and I think it also helps us improve our professional reputation as realtors. I've been part of the ombudsman program since uh, 2017 here in, in Boston. It, it's really absolutely uh, fascinating how quickly uh, things can get solved and how much people appreciate that. Well, yeah, Mary. I mean, it really shows that we care uh, about trying to help resolve the problem 
And I think it also helps overcome the perception that one realtor may be trying to come up for another, or they may think that we're protecting our own or something like that. And it really does reopen communications between the parties. Uh, and the other, the other part of that, uh, Diane, is sometimes the agent is flat out wrong, and they might not know what they're supposed to do or or how to do it. Uh, there are so many nuances about. Um, here, here's a case in point. So you have, a, I'm going to choose uh, an Italian. You have an Italian family. And um, they're moving here from Italy, and they they want to be in a place that they feel comfortable. If you take them to the North End, which is an Italian community, both in Boston and I think it's the North End in San Francisco too, uh, is that steering? Well, I'm not going to be the one to judge that, but... <laughs> Not the way I would handle it, quite honestly. Well, you would show them houses in their price range and what they're asking sure. for. Uh, but um, why would you avoid a place where uh, they could hear their own language, you know, on the street or in the grocery store? I wouldn't say that we'd avoid it. You know, I was just saying, you know, there's a lot of criteria that goes into, um, you know, when we meet a prospect and letting them set the tone. Let's put it that way. What are some of the average kinds of complaints that you're hearing as you travel across the country teaching Oh, this? mostly from the consumers and things like that. A lot of, I would say the majority come from consumers because realtors generally don't pick up the phone and call one another, but once in a while we get one as well. Um, but a lot of times it's, they're not hearing anything back. They're waiting anxiously for an offer to be um, you know, acknowledged, and they didn't hear anything, and they've lost five houses already, or I had one that was in a short sale situation and could not get through to anyone about what's, you know, should I go ahead and buy something else? What should I do? And just with a couple of phone calls, it just gets kind of resolved. Um, you know, recently I had one where they were very upset about the fact that someone, an agent was very upset that another realtor had made several appointments to show listings, and did not bother to cancel them when he didn't show. So she's got an angry seller on her hands, and, you know, we were able to work that out and get an apology from the uh, other realtor that said, I'm sorry, you know, I was just busy and running and things like that. So I actually think that in the end, when that was all relayed back to the sellers that were upset, it really helped that we took care of the problem, and we didn't just say, oh, well, that happens sometimes, you know. All right, well, we have a uh, broker right now that is trying to work out a deal with a broker. He has a listing. He never takes it off the market. We put in full price cash offers, no contingencies. We can't get him to really say anything other than, well, I'm working on other offers too. I'll let you know. Never calls back. And then you look online and you notice that he has about a dozen really bad reviews. This guy never picks up his phone. This guy never calls back. This guy never, you know, never, never, never. Um, putting in a complaint against someone like that, what does it accomplish? Well, if somebody filed an ethics complaint, then it would go through the channels and go to the grievance committee to determine if there is a possible violation of the code, uh, that he's not presenting offers, you know, in a timely manner and things like that then it would go through the grievance committee and they would send it up to a professional standards committee for an actual hearing. And if this individual is found in violation of the code, then the National Association of Realtors has specific sanctions that can be given um, uh, you know, by the board and 
confirmed by the board of directors. It could be education. It could be a fine. The maximum fine right now is $15,000. It could be suspension from membership. It could be a letter of reprimand in your file. Um, But it's, it's, I mean, we take it seriously. But is there a better way to resolve it? Possibly we could get involved with an ombudsman, and they could say, okay, look, we've got a lot of frustrated people out there, and maybe we can come up with a better way of communicating, because that's the biggest problem with multiple offers, is we sometimes lose track and don't communicate with everyone who's waiting to hear back from us. What if this person isn't a realtor? Oh, well, if they're not a realtor, then you can't go the code of ethics way, okay? And the uh, ombudsman program is really a realtor program to assist our realtor members. So I guess the only other thing that you could do at that point would be to either speak to the broker, maybe, and they would possibly look into your uh, filing a complaint with your regulatory body. And write a review. And write a review. One yeah. more review. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, yeah. I, I I don't know how well that is, but at least you feel better at the moment because you've done something right now. But all of these are so a- anecdotal. Um, you go to these classes and you, you take the, the test related to them. Um, it's all very specific kinds of things, like uh, there was a, uh, a play yard, playground thing in the backyard and during the walkthrough, and then you come back after you've bought the property and it's gone. You know, and nobody knows where it is. Uh, that was one of the uh, one of the parts of the class, wasn't it, Diane? That was one of that was one of my case studies. Yeah, and I I, I usually write my case studies based upon real life experiences um, in the real estate business since I've got 38 years in the business under my belt. And yeah, that was an interesting one. I turned it into a playhouse, but in actuality, in real life, it was a a patio set. Yeah, and it could, it, it could be it could be anything. And if there isn't communication, if the agents aren't picking up their phones and and not responding in a timely fashion, that's just poor professionalism. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, reviews can help that because the consumer today will look at your reviews, will look at your um, uh, your about page. You know. Yep. And uh, so, what else do you do, Diane? What else do I do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I pack my suitcase, and um, <clears throat> yesterday I was up in Connecticut teaching a day-and-a-half professional standards program, um, educating people that serve on the grievance committee, how to do their job, what their responsibilities are, and then educating people about their uh, professional standards when they serve on hearing panels, how to conduct themselves, things to consider, how to write the decision, and so forth, the confidentiality over everything. And I spent a day and a half with the same 30 people in, in a room, and they, they loved it and are ready to, you know, take on those responsibilities because it is a big responsibility as a volunteer to agree to be on these committees and, and also uh, be on a hearing panel judging your, your peers, so to speak. Do you as sell, I did do you, now, mo- Monday I'm leaving, or no, Sunday I'm leaving for uh, Florida to teach um, a mediation program. Do you sell real estate too? Right this minute, no. Uh, we were very lucky to, um, my husband's still in the business full-time, so a lot of the things I talked to him about, and he's like, yeah, that sounds good when I'm making, uh, writing programs and things. But right now I am a little bit too busy teaching and running around the country to actually list and sell real estate. But you still are a realtor because you're involved in, uh, on the national level with the national. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep, yep. 
38 years, and I still go into the office, and I still help, and they still call me for help, and you know, when I, when I'm around, and um, we always laugh because they come to me for anything like legal oriented, and I'm not an attorney, and they go to hiring my husband for everything else. So. Like, did I do this right? <laughs> that kind of a thing. So. Well, uh, doing things right is really important, and it's so daunting when you're starting out. But you end up, if you're in this business for any period of time, you do the same 20 or 30 tasks over and over again. They just look different because you're with different people with different emotions and different time frames. Right, right. And this, And real estate is a people business, and the reputation that you gain four years in the business is people come back to you and if they have had a bad experience you will lose those people and um, you'll, you won't see them they're going to be right for someone else to, to deal with but I would love to see professionalism enhanced and one of the things that's actually helping with that if you don't mind me mentioning it is the commitment to excellence I'm sorry what, what was that? the commitment to excellence oh commitment to excellence the new program for NAR yeah, great new program for NAR, and it's good for experienced agents. New agents could really benefit from going through there and seeing where they stand in every topic as far as an assessment, and then it guides you through on the things that you should be learning and focusing on. So it's a great program, and it's free. So, I, filters. so, so what about uh, all the uh, disrupting forces in brokerage? Does that affect uh, the cases you hear? Um, I'm not really sure. Can you give me an example? Uh, for, uh, for instance, Zillow or, or Redfin. Redfin works in the team program. So um, you're a consumer. You want to you wanna see a house. So you call and you ask that house, and it's like Uber real estate. It's whichever agent is the closest. They're called AAs. You know, and they show up and they get paid to show the house. They might not necessarily know the house, know the property, know the neighborhood. Um, uh, quite often they do, but they don't necessarily have to prepare in the way that, that you would if you had your, your own specific buyer and that buyer was had signed an exclusive with you. Right, right. Well, I think, again, um, we need to educate our buyers when we're sitting with them as to, you know, what is Zillow, what is Redfin, things like that. And, you know, going to an open house uh, without you and, and having your business card with them and saying, this is who I'm working with. And I think it all stems from the buyer's loyalty to you once you're working with them and you're being able to convince them that working with you is going to be a benefit to them. But the disruption here. Professional. Oh, the disruption is all. Yeah. yeah, the disruption is the buyers aren't reaching out to real estate agents. They'll go to a platform. You know, Zillow is selling houses now too, and and um, there's a variety of those kinds of things. So right. people who need professional help um, can get to the listing agent um, because the listing agent would you know, is who th would get the offer, but um, they're not the buyers because of the technology. They don't feel as though they need an agent. Oh, uh, yeah. Honestly, that's not really a big threat in my area. I've heard it across the country when I'm traveling. Um, I know up in North Jersey, they have asked me to come and do a presentation uh, next month for their broker owners 
um, on a number of things and multiple offers and communication and compensation and, and things like that. So I know, But right in my little neighborhood, we're not hearing a whole lot about it. Um, but you do travel across the country. Um, do and I hear? Yeah. yeah, and you and you hear. I know you hear these stories. Um, yeah. The being an, a realtor, which means that you pay dues for, uh, to the NAR, versus being a sales agent. Um, do you have much pushback? I know you you teach NAR programs, but do you get just sales agents that come into those programs? Um, you mean like the designation programs and things like that? Like sure. you get the designations of the ABR and the SRS yep. and things yep. like that? Is yep. that what you're talking about? Or they yep. do a lot of those as well. Um, I would say the majority are the agents who want to improve their skill sets. Um, and then once in a while we will have a, a couple of broker owners in there, and which I really appreciate because then they're hearing what I'm selling, you know, what I'm telling their, their agents and they can buy into the ideas that we're, we're talking about. Um, the other thing that I do, though, is if I've got mostly agents in there, I give them a piece of paper, and I say, I want you to write down on this paper everything you'd like to implement when you get back to the office, and I want you to give a copy to your broker and ask your broker to follow up with you in 30 or 60 days to see if you've done it, because I think sometimes you go to these classes, you leave there so overwhelmed with all these things you want to do, then you get back to the office to try to catch up on all your business, and then some of the things you really wanted to check out, you forget about. So that's been working pretty well. And I've had a couple of brokers actually call me saying, this was a good idea. Oh, fun. Yeah. So can you give a pitch why you would want to be a, a member of, of NAR? A pitch? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm a member because I want to give back to the association that has done so much for me over the years. Um, I have no problem paying dues to my local, state, and national association um, until I got really involved with NAR and went to Chicago and went to meetings there and things like that, I really didn't realize everything that they do for their members. They are out there every single day, you know, keeping an eye on things and looking at new bills as they come up and things like that. And they're always working towards protecting private property rights. Our local board, if you have a problem, you call them. If they can't handle it or they think the state should get involved, they call them. And I just, you know, sometimes I just am happy to keep volunteering, which I do volunteer a lot of time on hearing panels and things like that, because I'm giving back to the profession that has given so much to me. I, I know that when I came into the industry, I had every intention of being a, uh, a member of the national organization because it made no sense not to be. Uh, if you want to be professional, then you've joined the professional organization. It could be like a, a surgeon or a board-certified surgeon. It's your organization keeping you to a higher level of, of uh, uh, ethics and uh, ability. And Absolutely. I, I just think it, it, it's crazy. For, but we are, um, Castles and Lemon, we are a realtor uh, organization, so you are... Uh, a realtor when you come in here, or if you're not, then you will be. Um, right. It's it's very very little money to belong to a professional organization and get everything back that you get. I know, I uh, know. I totally agree with you. And uh, I somebody said, oh, you must bleed blue blood, and I'm like, well, <laughs> the realtor blue. And I'm like, <laughs> I said, I don't know. You know, I just uh, I like volunteering and I like the networking and all the connections I've made across the country. Uh, being involved in the realtor organization has just been amazing. I get to meet people like you, too. 
And I think that's another huge benefit is you get to meet people who are good at what they do, who have slightly different backgrounds, have different stories, have different experiences, and they share. You do when you belong to a group. Absolutely. Going to slip our sponsorship in right now. Broker Talk (laughs) is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers. Online, go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. I love those guys. <laughs> A little self-serving. Huh? Um, but Diane, is there anything that you could share as we get close to the end of the show about what's coming up in the next year? Um, well, I think that I could use some help in promoting the Commitment to Excellence uh, program because right now we have 1.2 million members of M- the National Association of Realtors and I think about 5,000 people so far, and they just rolled this out last year in Boston at the annual convention, but I think about 5,000 have achieved the endorsement to the Commitment to Excellence. So I would like to be able to reach as many people as we can. It's easy for me to talk about it when I'm teaching and I reach a room full of 30, 60, 100 people, but I'm trying to get to the people who are out there selling listing and selling real estate, but they don't really get involved with the local board of realtors. I want to reach them. So... It would be great if we could do that, and um, I thank you for asking the questions and helping me spread the word about the ombudsman program because it really is the preferred dispute resolution process of the National Association of Realtors along with mediation, and I think it's a real positive step for us. I I think the other course that that you teach that's absolutely wonderful is the three C's, cooperation, compensation, and the code. Um, (laughs) You're laughing? no, I just—I was just actually redoing that today for another association because if I go back to the same place again, I've got to have different scenarios. But honestly, people love that course because they actually are—I'm po- pointing out things in the code that they're like, "Wow, the code of ethics really does give us the guidance we're looking for." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's right there in black and white. Who knew that was there?" You know, and it's really a lot of fun for me to teach. So, are people still paying for mediation? these days, arbitration uh, for commissions, or does the um, ombuds person handle that? <laughs> I think it's, most associations are um, leaving the arbitration issues, the um, who's entitled to the compensation issues, to the mediators to sit down in person with the broker principals and their agents and try to work it out. Generally, there is no fee for that service. There is an arbitration filing fee at most associations that both the complainant and the respondent have to um, give. But if they settle in mediation prior to the hearing, then they generally will get that back, and the mediators serve on a, a volunteer basis. I do it because I get a lot of satisfaction out of watching people shake hands at the end of the mediation. They came up with the resolution, not a hearing panel, and they're ready now to go out and do business again together. I do it just for the rewards of it. What do you do it for, Larry? I do it for the fun. <laughs> no, I, I, I do it because this is my career. This Gladiators. Is my, yeah, it's right. It's a spectator right. sport. <laughs> right. But uh, it's our career. It's our profession. And if you don't want to be really good at it, then why be in the business? Um, I don't know. That's kind of uh, a line in the sand, but I think professionalism is, is essential. Any real estate news to talk about? 
Uh, we have a variety of, of things that you can uh, poo-poo here. Okay. Um, <laughs> why, why do I poo-poo? Uh, uh, yeah, well, that's I, here. Let me, a, let me get the first one. Uh, the advisory board, this comes from Realtor.com. The advisory board uh, proposes MLS policy to fuel broker cooperation. And in reading that, what they're talking about is MLSs across the country begin cooperating with each other. Um, what do you think about that? Like uh, a national? Yeah, national on a national level? on a national level. It's about time. Um, I'm not poo-pooing that. I, I applaud that. No, that's why I picked up this one first. Me applauding. You mean encouraging MLSs or boards to consolidate their services? Yes, yes. I mean, if for instance in the MLS pin, which is my local. Uh, MLS. If I have a property that I'm trying to sell, I am not unlike many agents have multiple um, states uh, licenses. So if I had a property in uh, Texas or somewhere else that I wanted to sell, I can't put it on my MLS. Yeah, you can. No one will look at it, but you can. <laughs> How do I do that? Oh, I'll show you after the, <laughs> the show. That's well. There we go. I knew there'd be. I mean, I mean. Okay, you, you, you can let me know how you do that too. Then. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just out out of state. You know, there, there's options for that. Even our castlesunlimited.com, we've got stuff all over the world in there. So. Right, right. Yeah. The luxury properties. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, commercial. This one is about a, another iteration of the eighty twenty rule, slacking off on prospecting. You got to do this every day. Uh, you got to wake up and you got to make calls. That's not news. We're talking news. You don't have news. That's that's news. That's that. Hey, that's that's something that that's you got to remind people every day. We're independent contractors. You don't have somebody giving you an inbox. Come on, give us you know, something saying, juicy. This is what like, you got to do today. Like SoftBank is embarrassed. <laughs> schedule. <laughs> you know, of this is how many people I'm going to contact today. And if you stop prospecting, guess what happens? So a day doesn't go by where Jim doesn't correct me, and I'm going to give him a third chance right now. Okay. More than a house hunter, the many, many roles of an agent. So you That's not newsy. Yeah, yeah, there this we go. Is, there training. we go. I, I like that. Yeah. But, but it is something that I think is, is salient that when you read through all of the different things that we have to do, that there are so many levels in which you can grow uh, understanding and compassion and, and uh, quality education that uh, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Okay. So I appreciate you keeping me on the straight and narrow there, Jim, on a daily basis. <laughs> Go to uh, castlesunlimited.com's uh, blog. There's always news there. Th that's right. There is. <laughs> or my blog. Or Do you blog at all, Diane? No, I do not. <laughs> Well, now you're on a podcast, so... There we go. You should Hold send on. this out to your uh, social media people. So, let's wrap it. Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. I'm Jim Lowenstern. And I'm Larry Lawfer. I want to thank our guest this week, Diane Dispro. Thanks so much, Diane. You're welcome. Know your dreams and live your dreams. Hit them with the hind. <laughs> Baba Bowie. Thanks very much. <laughs>